Welcome to another episode of Nebraska Gems. With our in-depth interviews, we reveal the qualities that make the people that come from the good life who they are. In the stories you're about to hear, you'll get an understanding of why there is no place like Nebraska. And now, here's Mike Melby. On this episode of Nebraska Gems, I track down one of the two people in the studio at 4949 Yankee Hill Road on March 2nd, 1992, when the juggernaut that is The Blaze was launched. His now 45-year-long radio career has spanned six decades, and he is one of the most talented and versatile people I have ever met in this business. He is the man responsible for the over 30 years that I have spent behind a microphone. Joining me from his home in West Omaha is my good friend, Tim Sheridan. Tim, welcome to Nebraska Gems. Was that an intro at a funeral? <laughs> wow. <laughs> That is awesome. I live long enough to hear someone preside at my funeral. That was cool. Thank you. That was that You're was so welcome. You're so welcome. That was lovely. Now, you grew up in Northeast Lincoln on Sherwood Drive, wasn't it? Or close to it? Uh, uh, 48th? Uh, actually, well, my mom's house uh, was on the corner of 43rd and Baldwin. So that's in Unite Place. I think we moved there when I was like six or seven or something like that. And uh, all the way through high school. So shout out to Unite Place and Lincoln yes. Northeast. You graduate from Lincoln Northeast. What were the hopes and dreams of teenage Tim Sheridan? <laughs> the hopes and dreams. Yep. Um, well, my hope and dream was to graduate high school. And that happened. So that was, you know, I guess that was a short term hope and dream. And after I did that, see, I, I always knew I wanted to do uh, radio since I was a kid. My brother, Steve, who everybody that I've ever worked with in Lincoln Radio knows, every time that we're together with radio people or whatever, he always would tell people we were when we were little, I would pretend to do a radio station uh, in our bedroom. I would read the sports or something. You know, I'm like six years old, seven or eight, whatever it is. So I always knew I wanted to do radio. So my hopes and dreams was to get through high school, then go to broadcasting school in Minneapolis. And, and you did, Brown College. And Why I, did you I did go that. to Brown College? Um, it's, it was well-known at the time. In the late 70s, it was well-known as the place to go. If you wanted to do radio, that's where you go because there's a lot of hands-on radio and so on there. So a, a lot of people back in those days went to Brown. Pretty much everybody that I knew in Lincoln Radio at that time had gone to Brown. Joe Scar, he went there. We were there at the same time, but we didn't know each other. So and there's there's another interesting story that we're going to get to a little bit later on about another local radio legend and how you met him. But we'll, we'll, we'll get there here shortly. When when you're, you're a legend, does that mean you're old? Yes, it does. OK, see, you can't be a legend unless you're old. All right. I just wanted to lay down the ground rules from the beginning. There. Your first gig in radio was in Holdridge, Nebraska. Yeah, giving it up. KVR. KUVR. KUVR, 1380 AM, and at that time, 97.7 FM. It's not 97.7 anymore. It's a different FM, but 1380 AM, and it's a daytimer. That means, now this will sound really cool to uh, people who are not of that certain age, and there are still daytimer radio stations around the country, but there are fewer and fewer. But when it becomes sunset, some of the AM stations have to go off the air. So during this time of year in December, you go, you have to sign it off at 515. Can you imagine that? You turn off a radio station at 515. It's like the, the FCC just didn't want to give AM radio any help at all there. 
when the blaze started, there was a little AM there that was K hat, wasn't it? Yes. That and was, that was a daytimer. That was a daytimer, yes. I forgot okay. about that. Yep. Yeah, it was K H A it was K H A T and it was by itself and it was out on uh, 4949 Yankee Hill Road. It was uh back in those days when that it was a country station and it was even more remote than it was in 1992 when the Blaze was there. It's really hard to go through all of the progressions of the Blaze in the stations, but <laughs> I know to give you a bit of a history of the 15:30 a.m. KHAT. At one time, it was it was there was no FM; it was just by itself. It was a country station, and it would sign off at 5:15 and uh, during the winter, and then it would stay until nine o'clock or 9:15 in the summer. But any anyway, then eventually in 1992. Before it was the Blaze, it became KHAT AM and FM, and that was 106.3. So 106.3 went through several formats. At one time, it was Champagne Country. It was uh, then it was KHAT, kind of an adult contemporary format, and then it became Mix 106 in 1991, I believe, 90 or 91, 1990. Before the Blaze. Okay. So I was there when it was Mix 106, and I was 1990, two years before the Blaze. Nice. Okay. And KHATAM was like a big band. Um, yeah, I remember that when I started format. working there. Yeah, it was yeah. a syndicated AM format playing literally big band music for people that were really, really old. The local radio legend that I mentioned is J. Marshall Stewart. And when we were talking earlier this week, you mentioned that you and Jay Marshall were actually on the air together in North Platte at competing stations during the same time slot. The thing with Jay is I grew up listening to KLMS in the 70s. It was a top 40 station on AM, as a lot of top 40 stations were back in the day. And so I listened to KLMS all the way through grade school, high, uh, middle school. Well, I guess it was junior high then. I forgot. It's middle school now. They couldn't leave it alone. It couldn't just be junior high. No, we got to change it to middle school. And then, uh, of course, high school. But uh, anyway, I digress. And I will do that a lot during this interview. I will digress. However, during that time, I did uh, grow up listening to J. Marshall Stewart. And then fast forward to when I first job was KUVR 1978. When that gig ended, I went to North Platte, and that's 1978 through 1980. I feel like I'm reading my LinkedIn uh, resume here. <laughs> so we're in 1980. It's a Saturday afternoon, and I flip on the little radio that's part of the EBS, the emergency broadcast system, that every jock has to turn on once a shift just to make sure, in case there's a national emergency, you have to make sure that you are linked up to the station in your market. So in case there's a tornado or something, every they take over the airwaves because they are the emergency alert station. Anyway, I flip it on. I hear J. Marshall Stewart. And I go, holy cow, what's J. Marshall Stewart doing on KODY radio? So I build up the nerve to call J. Marshall Stewart over there and tell him I'm from Lincoln, grew up listening to him. That's, uh, that's awesome. You're in North Platte. And he was kind of embarrassed. And he goes, well, let's meet after the show. So we do. We go to the Platte Bar. We've been friends ever since. So that was 1980. Man, I always considered Jay Marshall like Lincoln's version of Wolfman Jack. Yeah, he he definitely was. Uh, he'd been doing radio a long, long time. And he was such a cool jock on the air. He was very good. He knew the top 40. 
you know, way to do things. That's why it was cool to listen to him during the day. So to actually meet him, I thought it was kind of awesome. A couple of Lincoln guys doing some time, like we were in a, in a prison somewhere, and we were doing time in North Platte until we are released so we can go back home to Lincoln. I ended up back at KLMS in 1980, and he ended up coming back there as well to do the morning show at KLMS with uh, it became Jay and Judy. Well, good for you that it was a white-collar prison out in North Platte then. Yeah, it was. It was, you know, there wasn't a lot of breaking rocks or anything. At the Blaze, we had a wall in the back of the studio, and it had several hundred CDs on it. They all had a number on them. That would correspond to the songs that were in the computer that would print out on the playlist. O twelve 12 was whatever, and various cuts on all of those CDs were what we would play. When we were there, I was always astounded because your memory of those was crazy. You could literally... I could tell you a, a CD number and you would tell me who it was or vice versa. Uh, I'd say, okay, Queens were silent lucidity. And you'd go, Oh, that's Oh 81 cut nine. I'm talking to Tom Stevens the other day. And Tom goes, Oh, when you interview Tim, that dude has the most insane memory. When we were all at KLMS and KFMQ, we had a wall of carts. And for those, carts, that right. for those that don't know what a, a cart is, it's, it's essentially an eight track tape. That's what it looks like. And you put it into a cart player and songs were on carts. Commercials were on carts, but they're all numbered. And Tom said that he could never stump you. How, how did you remember all of those back then? All of them at the blaze? Where, where did the insane memory come from? You know, I don't know. It's, it's a kind of a rain man thing actually. And it sounds kind of creepy now that you mentioned that, but it's, there were, in fact, J. Marshall Stewart, he also was amazed that I would remember, and, and I don't know why, because I don't remember what I had for lunch, but I do remember that cart number 74172 was Carl Carlton, Everlasting Love. And I don't know why those things would stay in my brain, but they do, and I don't want them to stay in my brain, but I would always remember Phil Collins' Genesis uh, misunderstanding was 8135. And, you know, the first two numbers are the year. So it's really helped me in my career that I've always known what year the songs came out. So, I mean, I if nothing imagine. else, you know, it's, it's like I don't have to look it up because I remember what year the song was. Okay, do you remember what CD 076 was? <laughs> no, not now. See, I, I actually do. <laughs> well, see, you've, somehow it, it, the Rain Man gene has been passed on to you. There, that's the only one I remember for sure. That was Jackal. That was oh, their man. first CD. We played it once or twice. Yeah, um, we, okay. we, we did. You know, it, it's funny because when I started in radio, we were queuing up 45s and, and albums. And then later in my career, the music was all recorded onto carts. And then it became CDs. And then now it's uh, audio files. It's amazing how broadcasting has changed over the years to that. So now it's you uh, you still can remember numbers, but... All you have to do is just type in a few letters of the word into the automation system. Boom. So in the 80s, during your time there, you've got J. Marshall Stewart in the building. You've got... Oh, a KLMS the, now we're talking here? Yeah, KLMS. Okay. So this is in the 80s. And, and right. you guys were, you were in the same building as KFMQ, correct? Well, that didn't happen until 1986. I'm in the okay, same so building. In, in, at this point in 1980, KLMS is at 847 South 48th Street. So just south of... 48th and Randolph. That's where the station was. And then in January of 1986, the station was 
at some point in 1985, KFMQ and KLMS were purchased together. And then they moved us to this palatial estate off 70th and Van Dorn. And it was the coolest studios I had ever been a part of. It was incredible between KFMQ and KLMS studios. They were all, it was like a, there was like a hallway all around the perimeter. And the studios were the inner part of the perimeter. And the offices were the outer part of the perimeter. And it was pretty cool because there was a lot of glass so you could see inside the studios and so on. It was pretty awesome. Sounds like it. So let's go to the to the late 80s. You've got those two stations in the same building. So in the same building, you have J. Marshall Stewart. You have the OG of rock in Lincoln, Gabe Baptiste. Yes. You have Joe Scar. You have Tim Colley. You have Tom Stevens, John Terry, Michelle Chase, Mike Blakemore. And I believe the receptionist was the Blaze's first seven to midnight jock, Suzette. What that, the hell was life like in that building in the late 80s? Well, that Jay Marshall, had to be insane. Well, Jay Marshall Stewart had, had left KLMS, I think, before we got to there. But everybody else you mentioned was there at the time. Uh, Joe Scar and I were both doing overnights at the same time. He's at KFMQ. I'm at KLMS. And that's when radio was live 24-7. And so we had a lot of fun during the overnight shift um, at, at certain boring moments. Uh, we would sync up, and as I had mentioned, that hallway went all the way around the, the building. We would put our office chairs back-to-back, back and we would push with our feet and try and race around to see who would get back to the <laughs> beginning first. And we were having office Olympics at We were having office Olympics in the middle of the night, and it was... I first met Joe in 1985, I think it was. Tom Barker who also was at KFMQ for many, many years, that uh, eventually became a part of KLDZ, which I, I could, this, this could go on for so many hours of how radio stations morphed into other stations and other people moving around in 45 years of radio. But the short version of this is that, um, now I don't even remember what I was saying, but I remember what 74-172 is. <laughs> but anyway... The, all these people in the building, Suzette and Joe and uh, uh, Timo and all of the, all of these radio people. It was, don't forget, uh, there was also uh, Bob Allen, who was doing, um, I think he was doing middays on KFMQ at that time. He's in Cleveland now. Well, and another guy that was in the building at that time is the greatest production director in the history of radio, Bob Qualley. Bob Qualley. Cannot forget Bob. He comes from old school KLMS from back in the 70s. Bob is awesome. Uh, I do talk to him from time to time on Facebook. It's been a while, but he became Flashback Bob. And yep. he, he did a segment when I was doing mornings on KLMS. Because, see, the, the cool thing is Joe and I started at the same time. He's overnights on KFMQ. I'm overnights on KLMS, and eventually we both end up doing the morning show on our respective stations. So it was kind of cool. We went through all of this at the same time. We've never had a chance to work together over the 35 years or whatever it is, but we've known each other that long, and that's what's really cool about the business. So uh, Bob Qualley, who was, who was responsible for all the commercials on KLMS and KFMQ, he would do this segment called Flashback Bob, and he'd write it and uh, come on and tell this story about 
an, an artist. He would take an artist and kind of highlight it and give us the history. It was awesome. I can imagine. I, I was fortunate enough to be able to work with him in the uh, the early 90s when I was at the Blaze doing overnights full time. And, you know, I, I'm I'm the kid off the street that just at right place, right time, knew the right people and got lucky and got into the business. I knew nothing about radio and I knew nothing about production. Bob taught me everything there is to know about how to do production on reel to reel machines. And to this day, I still think I could probably do some pretty fun edits on a, on a reel to reel machine, but yeah. an insanely talented man. It's, it's so, amazing how editing has gone literally from taking a razor blade and using splicing tape and you put it down and you have to mark it on the tape head. You get up underneath there and, and use the white grease pencil you would mark it and then you mark the other two and you have like three or four feet of tape you have to remove and then you have to splice it cleanly together and then you play it back and listen and if you miss the the edit then you had to, to edit just a little bit more and sometimes an edit would take five to ten minutes whereas digitally now you can do it in 10 seconds it's it's yeah. amazing how that technology has changed yeah i i loved the challenge of trying to make sure the edit was right and if you remember right I actually put together a 25-minute Metallica medley on Reel to Reel. Oh, man. I, I put like 20 songs in it, and and BQ was then helping me every time we'd come in because BQ was there at like 4.35. At all hours, yeah. He was oh, there yeah. early, yeah. Always walking yeah. around with a with a hot cup of water. Yep. Keep the pipes going. He, dr he would drink hot water throughout yeah. the day to keep the voice all lubed up. So in 1991-ish, the owners of KFMQ decided that the entire contingent of KFMQ needed to go away. And they needed to change formats and go from an active rock or harder rock format to kind of a mellow classic rock format. Gabe is gone. Joe and Tim are gone. Mike Blakemore, Michelle Chase are gone. Were you part of that at KLMS? Did anything happen there at that time? Or when did you make the move from KLMS out to... K -hat yeah um that happened in like 1990 end of 90 okay um they they blasted out i mean i was about the only person that worked at klms at that time as a full-timer they they cared 99.9 percent .9 about kfmq klms was am it was playing music it had poor ratings they just didn't care and then they just brought in a satellite and just did satellite oldies so i moved over to the building um kurt owens there's another radio name at that time this guy is working at khat he invites me to come out there to the farm to work at khat part-time and i said dude i'm by this point in my career in 1990 i'm like this business is killing me i mean come on went through worked a lot of years in a row with no problem in broadcasting but then i hit like this this stretch in 19 1988 to 1990 that was tough i was on kfrx for a while i was on i was the first live jock on 107.3 fm because at that point it was klin am and fm so they changed it from beautiful music the 107.3 format to a kind of a, an adult contemporary format so i'm like doing the morning show on 107.3 it wasn't b then i was doing with dan the weatherman so, needless to say, we had a lot of weather updates. But he was my sidekick, Dan the Weatherman, and it was before the station really had any identity. And the owner of the station, Norton Warner, 
it bothered him that the station was playing contemporary music. I mean, he he knew that it needed to go that way, but he was it, it was cringeworthy for him because his his cronies or whatever. It's like, what kind of music are you playing on this? We we loved the easy listening, beautiful music on 107.3, and it really bothered him. And one of the songs that came up on my format was King of Pain from The Police. When that song came up, he comes screaming into the studio and wanted to see that on the playlist because that one freaked him out. That song, (laughs) there's something about, I'll never forget this moment. He comes screaming into the studio what is this song? Why are you playing this? Like I'm following the format song by song because I know how scrutinized this is. This station's being listened to because it's brand new. And you have the owner of the radio station right there in the building. Norm Warner is a very nice man, but he also was very nervous about this station playing his music. So I showed him, there it is, King of Pain, the police. There it is. There's, here it is on the format. And that was a tough gig. And I, I couldn't get out of that gig fast enough. And then I worked at All Hit 103 for a while. That was KFRX. That's when I worked with Rod Meyer, who was one of the great top 40 jocks of the 70s and 80s era in the Lincoln, Omaha area. Rod Meyer, rest his soul. He worked at Coil. He worked at WOW. And talk about a great, consistent top 40 jock. Rod Meyer was the man. Yeah, I remember him when I was in high school. Oh, yeah. Rod Meyer. He's, he's uh, and we talked uh, periodically on Facebook and so on. But so, yeah, I just, I just met a lot of cool people along the way that I just, I go, oh yeah, I forgot about this person or this person. And it's amazing, amazing industry. It is. The, the one part of the history of the blaze I have never heard is when did you and Gabe first meet about the blaze and, and how did all of that come about prior to March 2nd, 1992? The origins of the blaze is such a bizarre moment in my broadcasting history. This is the fall of 1991. This is about, it is October. It's October of 91. I'm doing the morning show on um, Mix 106. At this point, the short, to, to, to give some background here, KHAT, that was the adult contemporary format, is happening in 1990. It becomes from KHAT to Mix 106. A new owner comes in and buys KHAT, changes it to Mix 106, and it's a adult contemporary type of thing. And to equate that to today's radio, I would say it's like B107 is in Lincoln now. So Mix 106 comes on, and they're loaded with with uh, good salespeople from the uh, the owners from Harlingen, Harlingen, Texas, Southern Texas. They come in, they have the money. The first book, the first ratings that come out, Mix 106 does well. And they're like, whoa, we're coming in here. We're turning it up. We're making some money here. So, and and what preceded all that was a lot of money on TV commercials and so on, a lot of advertising. And then, okay, we're popular now. We don't have to spend any money to market the station. Okay, so now we'll just make money and not spend any money to promote the station. Well, we know what happens after that. Six months later, the ratings go clear into the belly of the beast. So Mix 106 has no ratings. They're starting to lose salespeople left and right. The station's hemorrhaging money. So now it's, it turns into an automated, easy listening format in 1991. 
And it's just a skeleton crew working there because it's automated. You don't have to go on the air except to do news updates or weather forecasts. So it's, it's automated station. However, right before it became automated, before it went from Mix 106 to the, this automation, there was, a, there was like a one to 10 day window. This automation system literally is sitting behind me. It's about six feet tall. It's a behemoth thing that sits there. And it's like you're looking at your radio career. You're looking back at this thing that it's going to replace you here in about a week. So it's sitting there. I'm doing the morning show. It's about 7 o'clock in the morning, 7.30 in the morning. And the music that we use are these syndicated discs that radio stations rent. It has five or six top 40 songs on there. It has five or six country hits on there. It has five or six rock hits. It has you know a bunch of different formats, and you get those every week. So the radio station would always have the currents. So... We have a whole, we have a ton of those types of CDs. You have, we have an entire country format, an entire adult contemporary format, all on these CDs that are just sitting there. So this particular morning, and I don't know to this day where it came from, our general manager at the time was the late Jim Keck. He happens to come by the studio while I'm sitting here. I'm sitting back in the chair. You know, hey, Jim, what's up? He goes, not much, another day. And we're just waiting, you know, knowing what's, what's coming with this automation. And I literally said, and I don't know to this day why I did it. I said, Jim, since we're going to go automated on Monday, this is Friday, right? Can I just start rocking the station? Can we just blow it up and just start rocking? I can play all the rock cuts. He goes, I don't care. Go ahead. I couldn't believe he said yes. I, wasn't, I was expecting him to go, well, we can't do that. It's going to be automated. Why would we? make all this noise right before Monday. I go, okay. So I grab these CDs. I start looking. There's Thunderstruck. There's Metallica. There's all of these songs on here that I obviously had never played before because they were on these discs. Okay. Start playing. I think Thunderstruck was one of the first songs I played. Then played another one. I started to look a little bit on the charts. I go, okay, what would a, a rock station be playing right now if it were a new radio station? I start finding a Motley Crue, things like this. Start playing. The phones start ringing. There were six phone lines into this station. Three of them were studio lines. Three of them were business lines. All six of them are going. I've never seen all six lines ring. Jim comes back and goes, whoa, we got, we got everybody worked up. And I said, well, rock music has a tendency to do that. He goes, this is fun. He goes, there's some angry people out there. And I go, awesome. That is just what you want to do. So I keep playing and playing it. And then it's like taking on this life of its own. This is like now 730 morning. It goes to, it gets to be about nine. I get off the air at 10. I go, what am I going to do? Well, at this time in uh, October of 1991, Gabe Baptiste and Timo, neither one of them have a job because Joe had at that point moved on to Oklahoma City to work at a really great station. Uh, the cat in Oklahoma City. I call Gabe up on the phone. I say, dude, check out what's going on here. And he turns it on. He goes, whoa, Bubba, what's going on? And I go, I, I decided, Jim, Jim Keck said, go ahead and start rocking. So I'm playing all this music. He goes, dude, I'll grab Timo. We'll be right there. 
Well, Gabe had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of CDs in his trunk, almost waiting for a moment like that to happen. He brings a radio station. Now, this is Gabe Baptiste. Some background on who Gabe is. Not only was he one of the greatest people I've ever known, but this dude worked at uh, KBPI in Denver, a very legendary rock station before KFNQ. So this guy knew what's up. He comes in and Gabe and Timo take it from 10 a.m. all the way to 6 p.m. By this time, with, with their uh, not only wherewithal, but they have, you know, the KFMQ juice going there because people recognize them from KFMQ. And by this time, the station's like taking on this amazing identity. Not only are people coming, they're calling, people are showing up, what's going on here type of thing. So the rest of the part-time people were given a playlist by Gabe, play these songs. And so we carried this format that I thought I was just going to mess around with and play for a couple of hours and then go home and watch my career go up on this automation system. So the station carries all the way through the weekend. And then Jim Keck on Monday says, I'm going to call Harvey, who's the owner of the station. I'm going to see if I can convince him to keep this hard rock format. Well, he calls him. And I'm waiting. I go, oh, man, this would be the most amazing thing. He comes back and he said, no, I've already paid it for the automation system. I already paid for it. So we got to go to the automation. The rock music ends on Monday morning at whatever time. I have to push the button to bring in, uh, baby, I'm a want you from bread. And all of this, (laughs) all this horrible, easy listening music. And then, of course, the phones ring again. What the hell are you doing? But we knew. We knew at that moment. We just got to hold on to this thought for about six months because if this station has crappy ratings, we'll revisit this. We'll be right back to Nebraska Gems after this. For all of your concrete needs, call Kramer Concrete at 402-560-0670. Do you have a cracked driveway or sidewalk? Are you in need of an egress window or an awesome-looking new patio with stamped concrete? If so, call Tim Kramer at 402-560-0670 to get a free estimate. With over 20 years of experience, the Kramer Concrete staff specializes in concrete replacement, egress windows, and concrete patio design. Kramer Concrete is the low-cost solution to all of your concrete problems. Call Tim today at 402-560-0670. Thank you for listening to another edition of Nebraska Gems. We hope you're enjoying the episode. Don't forget to check out our latest feature, Quick Gems, where our guests share a few shorter stories that we think you'll find entertaining. You can find those and all of our episodes at NebraskaGems.com. Every Sunday evening from 5 to 7 on 93.7 The Ticket and theticketfm.com. Tune in for the Husker Rewind with myself, Mike Melby, and my co-host, Tom Stevens. We'll have all of the latest on the Huskers, plus other happenings going on in the sports world. That's the Husker Rewind. Sunday evenings from 5 to 7 on 93.7 The Ticket. And now back to this episode of Nebraska Gems. We knew that the ratings would come out in February of 1992. So we go to lunch. We knew the ratings were coming out this particular day. Gabe and I would go to lunch. We come back, and the receptionist is Brenda. She says, the ratings have come out, and Jim is in, uh, he's in the office talking to the owner, telling the owner what the ratings are on his Easy listening, Mix 106 format. And he comes out and he says, it was a .4. <laughs> and, of course, we're excited. We're ecstatic. .4, yes, that's the best news ever. Nobody's ever rooted for a .4 more than I have. So the only problem with a .4 means you might as well just turn the damn thing off because nobody's listening. 
However, Jim is still there. He knew what was happening when we did that in 1991. We get Gabe and Jim and I were in this, they go, we can do this. We can bring this format to Lincoln and we can kick ass. I'll never forget this moment. Gabe and I are sitting in Jim Keck's office. He's on the phone in the other room talking. There's a minority owner as well of the station. Jim comes back in the room literally with champagne, says, we're going to be the place. It was like, I get chills now even thinking about it. And it's like, holy shit, we're going to be the place. And like, oh, okay, what are we going to do? We, oh, oh, and Gabe goes, whoa, whoa, Bubba, whoa, Bubba, slow down. But we had a lot of work to do. This is February. And the station came on the air March 2nd. So it's like, uh, we got to get songs. So Gabe goes down to Twisters and trades out a deal with Twisters. And, they, and we had two or three boxes of CDs. And of course, in these CDs are the Black Album from Metallica, Nirvana's album. Because at this time in music, it's an incredible transition between the Motley Crue era and the, the grunge era of Nirvana and Pearl Jam and STP and all of that. So it's, a, it's an amazing time for a radio station to sign on. It signs on in March of 1992. Amazing how that happened. It truly is. So the date, March 2nd, 1992, the location, the Rock and Roll Farm. Yes. You woke up that morning knowing what was going to take place. Did you sleep the night before? Were you excited, nervous, apathetic? I was what were your feelings? I, I doubt that I slept very much because that's pretty exciting to know that in um, at 1 o'clock, we're going to be 106.3 The Blaze. And it was amazing that we were able to keep that secret. Only a few of us knew, and it was imperative that that information not get out. I feel like that we're hiring a new football coach and there's no information getting out, and everybody's wondering what's going on. So in, in, in all the preparation of putting together this radio station, we knew that we recorded, we needed to record uh, a bunch of different fake radio stations, and we were going to put it on uh, a wheel of formats, and we were going to play this wheel of formats. It was about three hours long. It was all recorded ahead of time, and we were going to have the wheel spin around and land on these different formats, and do that for like 10 or 15 minutes and then go, nah, that doesn't work. Let's try another one. So we did this for like three hours before it landed on the final one. Well, the uh, general manager prowling around the halls just a few moments ago. Yeah. He didn't look very happy. What's going on? He's trying to stay awake. Yeah. Yeah, would you really mind a lot if we like liven things up a bit? No, as long as it's decent. You know, what would happen if we just put up a big wheel here in the studio, kind of like the Wheel of Fortune. Oh, yeah? And spun it and kind of tried a few different things mm. out. We spin the big wheel, whatever format it lands on, that's the format we're going to do. It went right, ba right by the dog training tapes. <laughs> Can you believe this? We're back to our old KMX, Lincoln's best mix of the 70s, 80s, and 90s at Mix 106. Oh, my. to uh, report to you that uh, that was a 100% negative. Please adopt with us our new call letters, K-W-S-H-O-W, all show tunes, all the time. KMXA Lincoln is now KDHR, Down Home Radio. Let's do it. 
There you have it. 106.3. Hard Rockin' 106.3. Here's Cinderella on the Wheel of Formats. We appreciate your comments because we've been getting some very interesting phone calls. <laughs> That's like the understatement. <laughs> It's time now for KNUZ News Talk Radio on the FM dial from Lincoln, Nebraska. I have seven zone forecasts for the state of Nebraska. I'd like to go down each one individually if I could do that. Well, first, let me finish. I still, there's still information on that oh, climactic summary. It's a trip. It's got a funky beat, and I can bug out to it. It's all kitty radio all the time. FM 106.3 year old KIDS. Señoras y señores, los éxitos 106.3 de Compact Disc, Canciones Urgentes, los grandes éxitos de Silvio Rodríguez. You're listening to KMOT, Motivational Radio for the 90s. Fire. Dude, KPIR, Pirate Radio, Lincoln's alternative location. I just play the music, it's pretty self-explanatory. To the comedy now on KMDY. Football is dumb. This is the one. This will choose the brand new format here at the 106.3 megahertz point on your radio dial. Is this it? It's this is it. it. This is it. it. Yes. This is the moment we've been waiting for. It's new. It's rocking. It's 106.3 The Blaze. The fun part about what we just heard is the first song played on The Blaze. When I came on board, and the funny thing is, I hosted my first remote before I was full-time, and I had talked Gabe into doing Saturday Night Threesomes, and I said, let's kick it off with... Uh, a, a remote event where I'm driving around town and I'll call in and, um, g- you know, be on the air like we're doing a remote, but yeah. we'll give stuff away and we'll have people follow us around. And we did that. And we ultimately wound up at like Burger King at 53rd No for the big final giveaway. There was like 400 people that had piled in. I mean, that's that's this is within six months of the station going on the air. It was insane. But the the trivia question that won somebody tickets to Metallica, which was the grand prize of the whole night, Mm -hmm. was what was the first song ever played on the Blaze? And it was Highway to Hell. Highway to Hell. Yeah. It it was designed. It was designed that way. And it was, you know, the whole beginnings of the station, um, Gabe knew how to make KFMQ sound old. KFMQ, remember, it still has about a year left of it. So the only person that's really left over at KFMQ at this point is John Terry. And we all we all love John, but Gabe had to make KFMQ go away because, well, you don't fire Gabe. And if you fire Gabe, it makes Gabe angry. And you don't want to make Gabe angry. And in case you don't know what Gabe looked like, he was six foot nine, and he was a giant man with a heart of gold. But this, the corporate is, is what screwed Gabe over. So Gabe says, I shall make them go away. Well, ultimately, the short version of this, there is the blaze is going on, doing all these weird things. Gabe is doing afternoons, and ultimately, KFMQ decides to call it a day. 
I just wanted to make sure I get to this one point because it's important. KFMQ goes away. I happened to be in Minneapolis that weekend. And it's amazing to me when I look back, how did we get a hold of people when we didn't have cell phones? And I don't know how the hell he got a hold of me, but he did. He must have called the hotel we were at, and I happened to be in the room or something. And anyway, he gets a hold of me. He says, yo, Bubba, listen to the radio. KFMQ uh, went country, and we didn't believe him. And then he plays it. it. Gabe was with Suzette at the time. So that, that moment happened. So everybody at KFMQ obviously is gone because it went country. But we wanted to get John to come over to the Blaze, and Gabe kept working on that. So ultimately, not only was Gabe responsible, if you listen to the Joe Scar podcast, well, I believe that Joe Scar is the one before me. He is. So if you go to podcast number before me, what is he, 14? 14. See, I remember. Yeah, he's 14. Yeah. Joe Scar, his his podcast number 14. Mine's number 15. Yeah. Anyway, let's listen to his podcast, and, and he talked about Gabe getting Joe and Timo together. Well, Gabe is also responsible for getting John Terry and I together, and it becomes Tim and the Animals. So he put two shows together in Lincoln. That's He did uh, between Joe and Timo and John and I, we did okay. And it was Gabe knew how the differences of the two people were because John and I couldn't have been more opposite. I'm, I was nine years older than him. Well, and let me ask you about that. Was the chemistry instant, or did you guys have to kind of work through some stuff and, and feel each other out to figure out, you know, no. what we're, I mean, what works and what doesn't you learn over time, but was it something where you guys got along great right away, or was there any kind of friction where you're like, you know, I don't want to do that bit? And he's like, well, no, we're going to do that bit. No, there was never any friction at all because we, we knew each other before we were put together, but not very well. He knew my radio background, and I knew his, and I knew that he knew this type of musical world because I came from an oldies top 40 radio background. I, I did not work in rock radio before this, and he is well-versed in it. He knew all of this stuff, and I always deferred to him, and then I, I never pretended that I was a guy who knew all the cuts on the Metallica Black album. I, I, I was never that guy to be able to do that. I certainly was familiar, but I was more familiar with the Led Zeppelin era type of rock than I was more of the, of the late 80s. You know, honestly, I don't think it took us more than a week to really feel comfortable working together. It was us against the world. There was no budget. The station had zero budget. Zero. Well, we, we, we did have budget. It was called Shake the Bubba Tree well, that's, from the record company. <laughs> well, that's, that's, that's not, that doesn't count as a... As a <laughs> True. That's not a budget. Record companies, the short version for people who are not up to speed on this, record companies would give a radio station promotional items for a promotional consideration. So if, uh, if uh, Aerosmith was coming to Omaha, then they would give us a bunch of tickets to give away. Or they would, they would buy a bunch of Blaze shirts for listeners to help promote it. Things like that. That's how we ended up with bumper stickers and with uh, T-shirts and concert tickets, it would be help from the record company because we couldn't buy them because we didn't have a budget. But it's, uh, that's how the station existed with no budget whatsoever. And when John and I started together, we start, the station was on six months before he joined me in November of 92. So we were on together for 20 years. That's, that's, that's a long time in, in radio life. 
to be able to do a morning show together for 20 years. And we had seen it all. We've talked to them all. We had seen it all. It was unceremoniously uh, canceled, if you will, with the ownership of the radio station at that time in February of uh, 2012. It's, uh, that happens. That happens in radio all the time. I read in the, uh, I read in the, in the radio trades someone who was doing afternoons in Dallas for 22 years. Boom, they're out. You know, it's, it happens in this business all the time. It happens in real-life jobs all yeah. the time. And it's just, it you just try to move on. What's your favorite memory from the rock and roll farm? The day we left? Man, there were, there were so many times that we felt like we were alone. John and I are sitting out there, literally, this is 49th and Yankee Hill Road. There is nothing out. It's a dirt road. There is no houses anywhere. Nothing anywhere near us. One day we said, man, I'm, I'm really hungry. It should be awesome if we had donuts. It was 10 minutes later, somebody bangs on the door. Here come donuts. Ah, I see how this works. Talk in here. Stuff shows up there. Awesome. So we started to go, well, let's see. All right, what are you hungry for, pizza? What do you want? That's like, uh, we, didn't, we didn't need to have any food delivery service. We just had listeners. They would show up. We'd make it worth their while. Well, here you go. Here's a greatest hit CD from blah, blah, blah. Or we'd show them all the variety of CDs that we had to give away or cassettes. Cassettes, isn't that awesome? Uh -huh. And people would go, yeah, I'll take this Dawkins CD and I'll take uh, this one from Nirvana. Great. That's good variety. Boom. And they'd be happy. And we're happy. So we. It's we, a win-win. It's a win-win. We had tickets to Guns N' Roses. First woman to show up in a bikini wins. Boom, down the road, here she comes, running up to the door. Am I the first one? Boom, in a bikini. Boom, concert tickets. Ding, ding, ding. How many showed up in a bikini? Just one? Uh, another one came by later. But again, this is before cell phones, so they couldn't call yeah. to you know, see. So Not it true. Was, Very it true. Was... Whatever happened to Bubba the cat? <laughs> Was that, was Bubba, well, see, the cat, at one time, the cat was Mixie, named after Mix 106, and I would have to defer to the cat experts that worked at the station. You know, EJ, he probably could tell us this, but there was, there probably was two, they were both black cats, I think. Yeah. One was Bubba the cat, one was Bubba, and the other one was Mixie, and I don't know if they were ever the same cat, but they lived in the ceiling. It's a suspended ceiling. And in certain areas, the cat would get on it and it would fall through because it wasn't mounted properly. And so, oh, boom, the ceiling comes a little, little flavor. That felt like, man, it's, it's a good thing that this doesn't land on your head because the cat could pop through literally at any time. But I don't know what um, ever happened to Bubba the cat. You know, ultimately the station was sold and the station moved over to... Uh, Sutter Place Mall. Uh, Sutter Place Mall, the home of the... Of the brown recluse spiders. Yes. There was a huge, huge, and this came out later, that there was a giant nest of brown recluse spiders in that building, Sutter Place Mall. Yeah, I, I saw a couple of them. Didn't know oh, exactly what they were at 3.30 in the morning. Oh, Just dude. stayed away. It wasn't so much in the studios. It was actually in the core, the in the middle of the building. So we're at 48th and Highway 2. And that's when the station changes ownership. And then the station uh, moves after that. It goes to uh, 46th, then Antelope Creek Road. And then the uh, station changes hands again, ends up at uh, 38th and Cornusker. 
So over yep. the whole years of the of the station and ownership, we went through a lot of owners, and we went through a lot of general managers, and we went through a lot of salespeople. You guys had some of the best game shows, and I've got to ask, I'm not going to ask you what your favorite is, because I think I know, and I want to know if it's the greatest radio game show that was ever created, rock band, racehorse, or porno. Or adult movie. That's what I was Adult called. movie, true. Rock Band, Racehorse, or Adult Movie. That actually came from our program director. After Gabe left the station to go to MTV Latino in Miami, our program director was Dave Douglas. And he came to us from a legendary rock station in Seattle, KISW. And uh, he was the assistant uh, PD there. And he decided he wanted to be a PD himself. So he moved to Lincoln. And he is an awesome guy. He came down to the blaze with all these great ideas that KSW did. And that was one of the morning show things. He says, one of you guys needs to become an ordained minister because you're going to marry somebody on the air because that's always great. Uh, you get a lot of TV coverage from that. So we did that, and I married somebody on the air on 10-11. We did uh, Rock Band Race Horse or Adult Movie. That We did that for years. And those were all legit. And usually the nastiest-sounding title was not a porn. Because the porn movies were so obvious that you couldn't even really say them. But some of them were a little subliminal. But the rock yep. band and the rock band or racehorse, a lot of times those were like, wow, I'm surprised that wasn't an adult movie. One of the things that Dave Douglas did when he came to town as well, uh, two things. One, we broadcast Helmet live on the air from the Grove. That was insane. The quality of that was insane. And the other thing that he did which to me is still one of the coolest things that's ever happened in Lincoln, regardless of who promoted it or whatever, was Blaystock in 94. Yes. On the 25th anniversary of Woodstock, Dave had the idea, let's bring in six, seven, eight national acts. Jackal headlined it. Wildside was there. Uh, Blackfoot, Bruce Dickinson, Gary Hoey. What are your memories of Blaystock? <laughs> I know for a fact that during the, the night before, we had a severe thunderstorm come in. And I remember waking up at two or three in the morning from the thunderstorm thinking, oh man, this is really going to cause a problem. Trying to do an outdoor concert in downtown Lincoln is really hard. It's very difficult. The city has so many hoops to jump through to do that. You have to get a noise variance permit. I had to go to the city to get that. I don't know anything about that sort of thing, but and then you had, when you're putting on a show like that, when you're not working with a promoter, I had to go buy all of the things that were on the rider for all these bands. So you have to secure a bunch of liquor and food, and they had to have a place to stay. And it's like, this is Bruce freaking Dickinson that's standing here. It's like, this isn't just some Joe Schmo. I mean, he's going to need, uh, you know, a few more things that are things that we cannot provide for him, wink, wink. That being said, someone took care of his needs. I'll just put it that way. But I hear, I'm talking to Bruce Dickinson, you know, the kind of history of, of just talking to this guy, like like he's, he's just talking to you like you're talking to some Brit, you know. And yeah. it's like I'm talking to freaking Bruce, Bruce Dickinson here. And where, where do you want the, you know, because we have to set this up with his manager and how all this works. So – I had never been a part of something like this that you got to talk. Not only, Jackal, of course, we knew very well, 
and how it works. And Gary Hoey turned out to be a friend for many years. Well, they still am a friend of his. And so we made some good friends with not only the, some of the artists, Wild Side, obviously, you know, they, they got their start, you know, we, we played their, their music. And so it was a great experience getting to know the bands and putting on a show of that magnitude. And then later on, we teamed up with other production companies that would do shows and we would just promote them. I had become pretty good friends with the guys in Wildside. You're speaking of the writers uh, and things that they need. Yeah. One of the things that Alex Perez, who was the replacement guitarist for him, uh, he didn't necessarily have on the writer, but he wound up with was one of the young ladies from the bar just to the south of where the concert was. Yes, that bar. Hmm. <laughs> and above that bar is where Bruce Dickinson stayed. Hmm. Hmm. What a coincidence. Something about some night after the night, uh, some no, sort of. it was of the night, night before, I think. I think it was yeah. the night. It was literally the night before the show <laughs> that people were taken care of in different ways. But I digress. Do you remember the party the night before at Pears upstairs? No. Maybe I was there and I don't remember. You know, a lot of this part of my career, I look back on, I go, whoa. My, you know, I'll, I'll still remember a cart number of what a song was, but there are some <laughs> of these things that other people went to, and I go, yeah, I was at that, but I didn't realize it was the pre-show or whatever the case. But P.O. Pears, I can't begin to go on how awesome P.O. Pears was as far as uh, working with Bob, of course. We worked a lot with Bob at Pears with the pre-stars parties and, and so on, and, you know, because we have to get to the stars, obviously, since you become the voice of them at some point down the road, right? So. True. But as far as Blaystock goes, ultimately there was there was parties happening everywhere, and then there was there was an an overnight party after Blaystock that was kind of out of control. That was I don't remember what that was at a bar downtown, but I don't remember which a, bar it was. The hurricane. It was, it was a hurricane. Yeah, it was at the hurricane. Wow. Yeah, that so, was that was crazy. And and, and a little foreshadowing, uh, Bob Jurgensen, who is the former owner of Pears. Mm-hmm will be an upcoming guest on Nebraska Gems. That's perfect. He is a legend. I'm sure. So let's go ahead and jump to the, the 1996 era. We're at 48th and Antelope Creek or 46th and Antelope, Antelope Creek Road. Yes. This weird sport comes to town and everybody knows what it is, but nobody's, you know, seen a whole lot of it. And out of that comes one of the greatest rivalries in junior hockey, Lincoln Stars, Omaha Lancers. Right. The Blaze, though, was as involved with the Lincoln Stars from day one as their home at the time, Cool 105, which is where their games were broadcast. Why did you guys embrace Choose to? Because you were full-time. I was part-time, so I, I, don't, I wasn't in on all these decisions. But why well, did the Blaze embrace the Stars so much? Well, first of all, I have to digress because John Terry and his good friend Rod are big hockey guys, always been. They're both Penguin fans, so they've been um, long-time hockey fans. They would be part of the Red Ice Rooters uh, for the Lancers at Exarbon. I had gone to the game a few times with them to see the lay of the land, how all this works, because it was pretty cool. And so they're huge hockey fans anyway in junior hockey. And then John Terry has a chance to be a program director at a station in um, Springfield, Illinois. Ultimately, he leaves. So it's Tim and the Animal until 1995. John leaves, and then I get teamed up with Sparky. So Sparky and I, and ultimately, I see this is going to open up the Johnny Royal aspect of of. That's where I was going next anyway. (laughs) 
Okay, well, ultimately, what what happens is, as, as the morning show progresses, we get to 1995. John decides he wants to go to Springfield, Illinois. He leaves. I end up with Sparky in the morning. Sparky and I are doing a show, and Sparky and I obviously have known each other for however long, but Sparky, even by his own, his own admission, wasn't really a morning show kind of guy. He's a factual guy. He knew he knows the music incredibly well, but Sparky and I just didn't have that chemistry because there has to be chemistry. The listeners could tell there was some lack of chemistry. So this one guy calls up and starts throwing out some funny things. He goes, did you happen to notice blah, 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 and we laugh. <laughs> and then he would call up every day, and i go, this guy's pretty funny. What's your name? Johnny Royal. Oh, that's nice to meet you, Johnny Royal. Why don't you come down to the station and tell us this great story? So he comes down to the station. He tells the story. And we go, wow, this guy's pretty funny. I go, you want to become an intern? And uh, he's going to UNL at this time. You know, he's taking a big load of classes. He goes, yeah, I can come in for a while each morning. So he starts coming in, be a part of the show, and eventually becomes such a significant part of the show with Sparky and I that he's, he's starting to do it. Well, then you fast forward, we get to where I see the announcement that the Lincoln Stars are going to get a hockey team. I go, well, if there's any way I can entice John to come back, it would be by sending him the facts of the Lincoln Stars announcing that they're going to start a hockey team. So I sent him the facts that was sent from the Lincoln Stars that they're coming to Lincoln. And he's like, whoa, I'm totally in for that. It worked out to where he felt like he needed to move back to Lincoln anyway. And that was the final straw. So he comes back. The Lincoln Stars are setting up their marketing. And through the salespeople, I'm able to get, uh, we were able to purchase the second billboard in the Lincoln Star, the second and third billboard, actually, for the Lincoln Stars in their existence in 1996. Miller had bought the one billboard that was behind the net. So we took the other one on the other end of the net. So the blaze is behind the goalie net on the opposite end of Miller. And then the other blaze uh, banner at, at the ice box was where the Zamboni is. So that's how we got. We were like right there from the beginning. We got four tickets together right there on the glass in section D at five, six, seven, and eight. The rest is history. John comes back. We tie into the stars. We have Coach Johnson on every week talking with the players. That's where we got to know the players really well. And uh, it, it, was, it was a great relationship, kind of like the Husker players also came in as well. That's when the Husker players, football players, are able to come in on their own. The university didn't have a limitation as to where they could go or who they could talk to. That got locked down later on. But at this point in 1994, 95, 96, we had a lot of great Husker players on the air over in, well, in addition Corey, to D Derek Reynolds and, and so on. Yeah, I had Corey Schlesinger come in and co-host the Power Hour with right. me. Uh, what, like three weeks after they won the, the national title in 94? Right. We, yeah, we, played was... we played a lot of Slayer. Yeah. You know, it was great because the football players listened to the station, especially the big ones, the, the big weightlifting guys. Those tough sumbitches, they always listen to the Blaze to get their – to get their mojo going in the morning, you know, lifting weights. And so we had a lot of, of great relationships with the players, the Grant Wistroms and, and so on. And uh, it, was, it was a lot of relationships that we still have to this day. Thanks for listening. And we hope you enjoyed this episode of Nebraska Gems. The episode may be over, but my interview with Tim Sheridan is not. 
In part two, Tim will cover the impromptu Gallagher show in the parking lot of the radio station. We'll visit one of the funniest bits that Tim and the Animal ever did. We'll talk camp out for kids, ghost hunting, and we'll let you know what Tim is currently up to. All that on the next episode of Nebraska Gems.